Good morning. I'll wait. Barely. I'll try to handle that boy if I talk louder. I'll wake you up. I want to remind you uh, just a couple of things. Number one is um, keep regularly check the bulletin, the website, a lot of different things going on, particularly with school starting back, whether it's in the student ministry or with children. We've got a men's mission trip coming up, and uh, Chad's in the back. If you, guys, if you're interested in that, going up to Roach, Missouri to Ethnos again, and um, it's always a great time. So that's coming up uh, end of the month. Just a lot of different things coming on. It looks like, at least for a while, I went to the golf tournament Friday, and the weather was fantastic. And then yesterday, I think summer came back again. So I'm glad I went Friday and watched what it means to hit a golf ball as opposed to what I do when I'm out there. And it was just enjoyable to see a couple old friends and you know, spend some time together just walking around the golf course and, and being there. And, and the weather was great. So, again, check everything out. Also, we'll remind you, uh, Wednesday night, we're going to, this, this Wednesday, the 11th, we'll start meeting together again. If you want to come, and want to come, it's, you can sign up at 6 o'clock. If you want to come eat, you can sign up. You do that by tomorrow afternoon at 4. You can do it at the events tab on the website. I love it when I talk like that, even though I don't know what I'm talking about. It, it sounds good. So you can do that um, Wednesday night at 6, and we'll have student ministry stuff across the street. We'll have children over here, and I'm going to do a Bible study in here at 6.30, kind of like... If nothing else, I think it's cool for us, if, if you can, to kind of come together midweek just as a little moment of encouragement to one another and uh, spend a little time together uh, around the Word and just uh, some fellowship time together in the middle of the week. And if you don't want to eat, just want to show up at 6.30 and spend some time together around God's Word, then certainly feel free to do that. And we'll be right here in this room waiting on you Wednesday night starting th this week. All right, turn to John chapter 8, if you haven't already. And let's look, continue to look, as we're doing this I Am series, at Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. We began to look at this last week. You'll look at number one there on your handout, and Jesus says the light of the world, and looking, answering this great question, who is Jesus? It's very simple. He says, I am, and we're looking at the different statements he made in the Gospel of John, where he said, I am the bread of life. Look at that. I am the light of the world. We'll continue to look on around the resurrection and the life. I am this, I am that. All of those, very important. Anytime he says I am, it, in the original language in which he spoke it, he, he is claiming deity. And then he goes about different ways of showing that, like the bread, I am the bread of life. The manna in the wilderness, he's saying, when God gave that to the children, remember, very important, we keep coming back to this, as he makes these statements, its audience is Jewish. So when he says, I am the bread of life, they immediately knew he was referencing the manna in the wilderness from the Exodus headed to the promised land with God. Simply, they would have to go out in the ground and pick it up, their daily bread that God provided for them. They immediately knew that's what Jesus was referencing, that he was not only the giver of the manna, he was the manna itself, that he's the provision, he's the sustenance, he's the one that can give you life that he is God. That's why they wanted to kill him. And when this dialogue is over at the end of what we're looking at in John chapter 8, and you don't have to turn there, but in verse 59, their, their answer was, 
we have to kill this guy. That was their solution. We have to kill him. He is a threat. He is claiming deity. He, he is a threat to our authority as described in the Pharisees over the Jewish people. We can't have this. He's got to go. Well, the one we're looking at now is Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And last week, we talked about their point one on your handout, that the idea of receiving Jesus as light. And that light, we're going to look at the different phrases in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, and continuing in that verse. And when he says, I am the light, that basically light is essential for life, and light is the essence of who God is. By nature, God is light. What we're going to look at now is the, the other words. Look at John 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. By extension, by inference, and later on by direct statement, what Jesus is saying is, if you follow me, you won't walk in the dark. If you don't follow me, you'll be walking where? In the dark. And that you are currently walking or living in the dark if you're not following me. He was saying that to the scribes and the Pharisees and to all the Jews that were listening, and he's saying it to us today, and to our culture and to our world. If you want to have light, if you want to have life, if you want to get out of the darkness and understand purpose, meaning, reason, what life is all about, if you want to have direction, if you want to, want to have guidance, then you have to follow me. I am the light. You're drawn to the light. You need the light. Light, light is the essence of life, and I give those things. John began in his, in his very prologue to begin this gospel. He talked about that, that, that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there was the light that gave light to every man, life, light and light to every man coming into the world. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. So, we looked at the idea of light. Now let's look for a moment at the word world. I am the light of the world. When you see the word, word world in the Bible, it has basically three different meanings, three ways that it's used in the Bible to describe the reality, what it means when he says world in Scripture. Number one is the creation of God, what he created, trees and rain, which we'd like to have a little bit of that right now, and animals and all that God created. You go back and you read Genesis 1 in the beginning, which literally says in Hebrew, before there was anything else, out of nothing, God made. He spoke, created into existence the universe. So when the Bible says it in some cases, when it's using the term world, it's simply referring to creation. How did God describe his creation in Genesis 1? To God in the beginning, God created this, and he looked at it, and he said it was good. God, God doesn't do bad. He created good. That's the way God described it. Jesus is the light of our universe. Jesus is the Savior of our universe. And by that, I don't just mean that he came and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again that we might be redeemed. Yes, that's true. He became a man. He didn't become an animal. He didn't become a plant. He became a human being, died for our sins because we have the capacity to know God, to be born again, to be a child of God. But he will also, ultimately, and Romans talks about this, redeem the world. His creation is going to, as we currently know it and it exists, and we're constantly exploring it and trying to understand it, it's going to go away. It's going to melt with fervent heat, and there will be a new heaven, a new earth. There will be a new creation. 
And Romans tells us that creation itself or the world as we know it groans even now for that final redemption that Jesus Christ will bring. He is the creator of the universe. He is the sovereign over the universe. And so when you see the term world used in scripture, one of the references is creation. I am the light of the world. I cre it wouldn't be here if I hadn't spoken it into existence. It, he's also the sustainer of it, the Bible tells us. The universe doesn't continue to exist and roll right along just because it is. It's because God holds it together. He's the sustainer of the universe, creation. Second usage of the word world in the Bible is referencing to the fact it's our enemy. It's the enemy of the children of God. In 1 John, the Bible says this, All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The opposite of walking and following Jesus Christ is worldliness. Jesus said you can't have two gods. You can't serve both God and mammon in the, the old English word, and that simply means worldliness. And if there's anything that we as human beings, especially maybe as Christians, because we understand redemption, we understand forgiveness, we understand grace and blessing and how good God has been to us, and it's important that we step back and realize, and I know in my life, and I'm raising my hand right now, and if I were to ask you to raise your hands, many of you would, and those of you that wouldn't could come on up here because you're deity. You know what deity means? Okay, I thought that was a joke. It means you're God. All right. If there's one area of our lives that we struggle, it's honoring God with our money, not being worldly, being focused on, there's a reason Jesus spent more time on that subject than anything else and everything else that he talked about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what will be added to you. All the things you're desperately needing, clothing, protection, life, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Does that mean you're going to have every single penny that you want? No. But you, what you will have is what you need. God will take care of you. And so the Bible talks a lot about the world being our enemy. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes these words, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And just prior to that, he had said, he said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Give yourself holy, acceptable unto God, you, a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. If you read Romans 1 through 11, Romans 12, 1 begins with the word therefore. Referencing back Romans 1 through 11, where God had laid out, Paul, through the Apostle Paul, all the great tenets of our salvation justification, sanctification, glorification, all that he had done, all that he was doing, and all that he would do for us. And then Paul says, your reasonable response to that is, say, here I am, Lord, use me. Present your bodies, and body doesn't mean physical only. It means all that is you, body, soul, spirit. Present it to God and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, dead to self, alive to God. And then he says, be conform don't be conformed to the world. That's the system that is your enemy, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that constantly spend time in the Word of God, constantly spend time in prayer, constantly spend time seeking, Lord, what's the, how can I honor you in this relationship? How can I honor you in this particular moment? Lord, I need wisdom to deal with this. Lord, I want to make sure that, that Jesus is pleased with what I'm about to do. And so if, I, if you don't want me to do it, I need to know. Constantly seeking the face of God. And the way you get there is having your mind constantly transformed by the renewing of it in the word of God as opposed to conform. And the, and it, and the two words in Greek are beautiful. If, this, if my left fist is, is you or me, the idea is this. Transformed from within is spiritual. Conformed from the outside is material, worldly. You're letting the world shape you into what it wants you to be as opposed to being transformed into everything that God wants you to be and then blooming and blossoming in the middle of that worldly culture. That's the reason, by the way, we, we were placed here. Satan is called in Scripture, quote, the God of this world. Jesus said you can't serve both God and mammon or the world. In another place in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What does it profit you then? It doesn't. So, world and scripture, the creation, our enemy that we need to get victory over regularly in Christ, and in the third reference in scripture, to the usage of the word world is just simply referencing the human race, the world, all the people that are on planet Earth. It's interesting as you read through, the, and it's one of the reasons I love the Gospel of John, it's just so passionate. The word world or the human race is mentioned 15 total times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels, the history of the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus as the Christ on planet Earth. In the Gospel of John, the world is mentioned 15 times total in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, historic synoptic Gospels. In John, 77 times. Think about that. Five times as much. 77 times John references the world. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? Not Jesus wept. Let's just skip that one. Let's go with the next one. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's a beautiful picture. That's grace. He loved us so much, despite our, Romans talks about, despite our worldliness, despite our, our enmity toward God, despite our rebellion, despite our sin, despite our sticking our nose and our thumbs and other things at God and saying, I don't need you. God said, I love you anyway. And I will provide atonement for you. Started in Genesis chapter 3. Covering. The word is, means atonement in Hebrew. I will provide atonement for you. I will show you grace even though you don't deserve it. I'll show it to you. The human race, the world. John has one passion in his gospel. Jesus is God and he's the only way you can know life. You'll be alive and you'll function and a lot of people do really well financially and, and in other ways. And then, boom, something tragic hits them, and they don't know what to do if they don't know Jesus Christ. I do a lot of funerals. You've heard me talk about it over the years, and I love to do them. 
Just did one recently. A dear friend, Jack Campbell, we talked about him, 101 years old. Incredible life. He was one of my heroes. World War II pilot, volunteered to be a fighter pilot in the Philippines when he had, they had him in California training. He said, I want to go where the action is. With the, <laughs> Jack went to uh, college on a basketball scholarship and got kicked out because he didn't like going to class. Said, I think I'll join the Army and become one of those pilots. And became a fighter pilot. Uh, flew P-51s in World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Just trained people. Brilliant guy. He loved the Lord. He was just straightforward about everything. He was military to the core. You play golf with Jack, you better not cheat. Which I can't play without cheating. So I, I loved playing golf with him. 85 years old, he was still shooting his age and beating our brains out. He was that good. Everything's right down the middle. In or around the green, chip it up, one putt, par or birdie every home. We're over here in the woods and trying to find our ball. And I love, and Jack was just, he always had to keep score because he didn't trust us. I loved him. I learned so much from him about what it meant to be a real man. And be serious about it. And here's what God says, I love you. I know you intimately. I created you, every individual. I know every hair on every individual's head. I know every moment of your life when you, before you were in your mother's womb. I knew you. I knew you. Just read Psalm 139 and meditate on those verses. Amazing how special you are to God. But he didn't just give Jesus to you, even though he did. Darren quoted a second ago, God so loved the world. Even those that mock him, as we said earlier, don't want anything to do with him, spit on his face, in his face. We don't even need you, God. He loved those people and died for them. In Isaiah 42 and in Isaiah 49, prophesying the coming of the Messiah, the Bible says this. The Lord, I the Lord have called you in righteousness and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you, he's talking about the coming Messiah, I the Lord, I will give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jacob. Israel, northern tribes, southern tribes, but you're not just going to be the Messiah for them. My servant, you're going to be the Messiah or the Christ for the entire world. The ends of the earth, I will send you. That's why when you read the Gospels, particularly John, you constantly see Jesus saying, I am the one sent from above. I am the sent one. I am sent by the Father. Over He's fulfilling this prophecy. That's what he's saying. Over and over. Remember, the audience was Jewish. I'm the one that he promised to send you. That's me. I'm the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15. I'm the pole lifted up in the wilderness in numbers. I'm the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. On. I'm the manna in the wilderness. I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. I'm the water, living water from the rock. On and on. When you read those metaphorical pictures of the shadows and signs, of the Messiah, I am 
that Messiah. Before Abraham was, I am. I want you to know how much I love you. And I'm here for you. Sent to the world. Now back to verse 12 of John 8. I'm the light of the world. Continuing. He who follows me, the light of the world, shall not walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. In other words, this is so essential, particularly in the culture we live in, in moral relativism, which is eating up our country and, and the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is making it real simple. And we need to do this compassionately and with respect for people, no matter what they believe. That they, life is about a dichotomy. We just saw how much of the world does Jesus love? All of it. How much did he die? How many of, of the human beings on planet Earth did he die for? All of them? Here's a dichotomy. I'm the light of the world. I created every one of you, and I created the culture in which you live. I created space and time so you could function. I gave you oxygen so you could live, and I put you on a planet that's so delicately balanced that it shifts one millimeter, you fly off into space. I put you there. I sustain it for you. I love you. But here's the deal. I'm the light of the world. You can follow me, and you'll have the light of life. Or you can choose not to follow me, and you'll live where? In the dark. That's currently where you are. Romans 5, 8 says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Everybody is in the dark. And then that's why that old saying, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that old saying, when I was growing up as a kid, and I wasn't even a Christian, but you all, everybody knew the phrase, when someone got religion or got uh, went to, started going to church or became a Christian, whatever the term, I don't know, you would hear people say, they saw the light. They saw the light. It's what Jesus is saying. It's a dichotomy. You can choose. I'll give you life. Or you can continue to grope in the darkness. Think about the metaphor. What a great picture. If you're in a condition where there is no light, I talked about before the time I went, the one time I was, went spelunking and I didn't spelunk very long. They, had, they cut that little hole. J.J. said, we're going to go in. And I crawled through there. And I said, no, I'm going to go back and sit here and play phase 10 where, with the people who don't want to spelunk. I'll be right here for them praying for you guys. You know how many people went spelunking out of the 50 or so we had with us? Uh, most of them were with me playing phase 10 after a few minutes. Even the big, you know, the guy, I got this, I'm going, the macho. They get in that cave and they turn the lights off. You couldn't see your hand. Where'd they end up? That phase 10 sounded real fun right then. I'm going to go back and hang out with Randy and, and pray. You're in a place with no, without light. And that's all darkness is, is the absence of, absence of light. You have no direction. You've, you've seen the, the articles. You've seen the, the, the stories. I heard the stories. How long does it take if a man's in a place with absolute, in absolute darkness? It's a very short period of time when you lose your mind. You literally go insane. Because you don't know which way to turn turn around a few times. You don't know where... I mean, even thinking about it now, I, I'm, I'm getting anxious. I'm claustrophobic. Went to see my doctor this week, my, my six-month checkup on my heart. You know, you go in, they, they give you one test, and they put you in a room so you can wait. And they take you in another room where you can wait. And I, find, and I told the, the sweet girl, and like three different ones come in, they give it to you. I said, look, do you mind if we leave the door open? There's no windows in here, and I, don't, I just don't like being in a room without windows. I said, could you just open the door so I can see out? 
She said, we're not allowed to leave the door open. I said, well, you can either do that or you can go ahead and take me to the hospital because, I, or let me come hang out there and you give me a job. I don't care, but please leave the door open. And then the nurse practitioner came in and I said, look, and it was a guy. I said, look, man, I don't want to be a jerk, but can we leave that door open? That's one of the times I went to the hospital and they, they were going, I told them what I needed. I went in and said, look, I need a transesophageal echocardiogram and I need a cardioversion. I had it done so many times. And I hear the guy, he goes, he says, we'll decide what you need. And I said, well, I'm telling you, that's what I need. And he goes, I hear him on the other side of the curtain. He calls somebody. He goes, this guy is not cooperating. <laughs> so he comes back. I said, look, man, I don't want to be a jerk, but I'm telling you, that's what I need. He said, we'll decide. He goes back about an hour later. You know what he said? You need a transesophageal echocardiogram and a cardioversion. I was like, son of a gun! I should have been a doctor. But I'm sitting in that doctor's office, and I love my doctor. He's my cardiologist. He saved my life. He's a great guy. And I'm talking to him, and I've shared the Lord with him. And he, he, he treats you like a, a peer. He, talk, he listens to you. And he came in. He said, you're causing trouble leaving this door open. <laughs> I said, I, he, he was just messing with me. I said, I can't stand to be in an enclosed space. I've gotten to where I don't ride elevators unless I absolutely have to. I don't know where it came from. I know when I first discovered it, I was in an MRI machine, and the girl said, push a button if you're having trouble. <laughs> I said, you're going to, I said, I mean, I had the music on, the headphones on, you know, playing my music. I, you know, I said, this will be all right, because I'd had a bunch of MRIs over the years. And for some reason, it hit me that day. I can't breathe, and I'm sweating like I'm in the shower. I, and I hit that button. I said, you got to get me out of here. And she said, can you last five minutes? I said, I don't know. How long can a person go without breathing? <laughs> We're about to find out. And I made it through that one, but I told my doctor, never again. If I have to have an MRI, you're going to have to put me to sleep. Because I, I, I asked him before I went in, I said, is this one, it was an open, this was an open MRI. I said, you only do it, it was like on my, my uh, uh, back of my leg or something, I can't remember. And I said, it, you're not going to have to go up and cover up, you know, as long as they don't cover up my face, I'm fine. They, they said, no, that'll be all right. Well, we get in there and the technician and you know, they start you in and that thing's getting, you're going in further and you're going in. And I said, oh, <laughs> I thought my head wasn't going in. He goes, well, we can't do the test without putting you in the, in the tube. And I said, well, somebody's lied to me because I, they told me and when that thing came down right here, immediately I'm pouring, sweat's pouring off me. It's like the boom. <laughs> That's what I, I wore that button. I broke the button, I think. At least it showed up on my bill, broken button, MRI, Michelle. But think about it, it, let's say you're not necessarily afraid of the dark, but let's just say they put you in a place and then leave you, like my son and his wife and stepson, they went to one of those escape room things not, not, not long ago, and I said, well, look here. They wanted me to go, I said, if, you, if, if they put you in there, is there a door where you can get out if you can't handle, if you can't handle it? And if they put you in a dark room, and I'm talking about dark where you can't see that's what Jesus is wanting them to understand. How long is it going to be before you're begging for light? I don't think it'll be long. Even if you're not scared of the dark. Sooner or later, you're going to, you're going to need direction. You're going to need guidance. You're going to want to know, how do I get out of here? And how do I get to where I want to be? Darkness, that metaphor, blind, groping, afraid. What is Jesus saying? You don't have to be that way. I'll give you the light of life. 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says this. John, who wrote the gospel, writes this. He who hates his brother is in darkness 
and he walks in darkness or lives there. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, Jesus sets you free from metaphorical darkness even where you genuinely care about people that aren't like you. One of the things that's, that's tragic that's going on now with this pandemic and different variants, we thought that we're not going to go into masking and all that stuff today, is how people who are Christians, even in the same families, have gotten where they won't talk to each other about vaccines. That, that they just hate each other. Christians love. They don't hate. Do they disagree? Yes. Of course you disagree about things. But you don't divide over non-essential things. That's what John is saying. You say you love the Lord, let you hate your brother. You're in the dark. That's a pretty powerful statement. He's saying you need to step back and examine, are you in the light? Or are you just saying you're in the light? Talk more about that in a few moments. One of, the, one of the titles used for Satan in Scripture is Prince of Darkness. He wants you to stay in the dark. And I don't mean that you dark, like you can't see dark, but spiritual darkness. Well, all you're really interested in is yourself and your family and your money. Well, Jesus says, I want you to get outside that and see what life is really all about. Why I created you in the first place. Why I came and died for you in the first place. What I have to offer to you that you can't get anywhere else. Step back and realize, my friend Jack Campbell, 101 is a long time to live. But it is nothing compared with eternity. Nothing. And you have, God says you're citizens of heaven. You live with an eternal perspective. Step out of the dark into the light, and you suddenly, that's why I love that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. You don't see the same. It literally means you get a new set of eyes. You don't look at people the same. Even people who hate you, as you mature in your, in your faith, you realize what Jesus said. Even people who hate you, you love them. You do good somebody who hurts you, uses you. You pray for them. You ask God to bless them. You don't hope God gets them. I heard a preacher literally standing by the pulpit with the Bible laying there. I think he even had a light, little bitty light on his podium. And he was excited that a group of people, God was going to kill them because of their sexual orientation. He was happy about it. Come on. That's not Christianity. Christianity is you love people who, yeah, sin is sin. We saw Jesus told the woman, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Jesus sets you free. You pray for people. You love them. You care about them. You don't hate. Darkness hates. Light loves. He who follows me, verse 12 again, shall not walk in the darkness. Isaiah 9, the Bible says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Micah 
the prophet said, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in the darkness, I love this, because I, I love to be alone with the Lord. You know, Micah says, when I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I love my little office at home. It's even funny, I mean, because it's, it, you come in my door, you turn in the little room right there, it's my office, there's not any, I mean, that's just, but it has a nice window, so I'm good. But a lot of times now, there's nobody there but Mary and I, and I, I do all my studying there, and she's gotten to the point, if she wants to talk to me, she comes to the door and does this. And I'm like, all right, that's the kind of respect I need. I said, by the way, my feet are hurting, you want to rub them? I don't do that. That part was a joke. She said, I love you, but the one thing I will never do is touch your feet. And I look at my feet and I say, you know, I can understand that. If she knows that I'm in there and you, you know, I've got my Bible and, and I'm just, I get absorbed into it. Not because I'm special. And so, it's just, it's cool to open the Bible and realize the eternal, self-existent God of the universe who is my father is saying, hey, Randy, I want to tell you something. Pay attention, boy. Like I get foghorn leghorn images. Those of you old enough to remember Looney Tunes. I get foghorn leghorn images where he's trying to explain something to the little chicken hawk. It's kind of like God talking to me. Pay attention, boy. I'm talking to you. I love to read verses like this. I might be in the darkness, but I've got light. I might be the only one in the room. I'm never alone. This means so much to me because after I became a Christian, the tough home life that I had, I could always go in my, and I loved, I'd always been an avid reader even before I got saved, but then I could get in my room, my brothers weren't home, just by myself and just read. I mean, read not just the Bible, but read Christian. I was a brand new Christian in high school reading Christian authors, trying to learn, trying to understand what's this all about. Just me and the Lord. It meant a lot to me because I couldn't go talk to my dad. He wasn't a Christian and my brother's Weren't, didn't want anything to do with it. My mom didn't understand me. And I just had a lot of time alone. And I love that time. Still do to this day. I love to just be alone with me and the Lord. I hope you do too. Because God wants that time. Because you're never alone. Where's the Holy Spirit right now? It's in your heart. He's also in our midst. I love that picture. He's omnipresent. The only bad thing about God being omnipresent was I go somewhere and I'm doing something I don't need to do. Guess what? He's there too. You know, that, that ain't right, but no, it is right. That's the beauty of conviction. Because sometimes I mess up, like daily, and he's there with me still. He's not going to let me go. Nobody's snatching me out of his hand. He's not going to forsake me. What he's going to do sometimes is slap me on the back end and punish me maybe, discipline me, get me back focused. But that's a good thing, not a bad thing. And that's the idea of understanding you're not walking in darkness, you're walking in light. The night is far spent, Romans 13 says. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. Follow Jesus, verse 12, back to John. You have the light of life. The light of life. 
Think about the word life. We talked a lot about it. First thing I want you to notice about life, we're going to look at this particular part and then we're going to be done. About life, number one, when you see that phrase walk in the New Testament, particularly in the writings of Paul, you see it a lot, you see it here. Walking means living every day. Please get this picture. Look at verse 12 again. You'll not walk or live in the darkness, but you'll have the light of life. It's the way God wants us to walk or to live. Please don't miss this. It's really important. When you got saved, God took you out of darkness and put you in his kingdom, the kingdom of light, and you were forever his child and you go home one day. But in the interim, you still have to live. And where's darkness? It's around you. It wants to overwhelm you. Satan wants to defeat you, get you down, keep you down. Darkness is still there. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's still there, it's still pulling, it still wants to control you. But Jesus said, you don't have to live there. You're my child, corporately. You're my bride. My walk for you, how I want you to live every day. Look at verse 12 and you get the key. I'm the light of the world. What's the next statement? He who follows me. He doesn't give it lip service. She doesn't just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm an American, ain't I? He who follows me. How did Jesus describe following him? Do you remember the statement? It's very powerful. He said, you want to follow me? Okay, number one, you've got to deny yourself. Number two, you've got to take up your cross. And then you can follow me. Put yourself in the culture in the days when he spoke those words. Number one, you've got to deny yourself. It's not about you. Number two, you've got to pick up your cross. If you lived under the Roman Empire and you picked up a cross, where were you headed? To be crucified. You carried your cross to be crucified. Here's what Jesus is saying. Are you serious about this? You want to follow me? It's not about you. And come on, you're probably going to die. Let's go. And the Bible says, from that point on, many followed him no more. You have to die to self. Live for him. Even today, in our, in, in our world in which we live today, there are people... If you gather like we're gathering here and you name the name of Christ, there are many places where a death sentence will be placed upon you. Am I ready for that? Can I handle that? I don't know. But Jesus, what, the point is this. You want to follow me? You have to be serious about it. That Christ-like conduct is the goal of my life in every relationship. The old WWJD bracelets from 20 years ago. What would Jesus do? Now, what would Randy do to make Randy feel better? What would Jesus do? How would he treat that person? How would he handle that situation? What would he do with that money? What would Jesus have me do? And then do it. Now, how many of you ever fail at that? You didn't raise your hand, you're a liar, and then you just failed, so you can go ahead and raise your hand. We all do. But the key is to understand, okay, you failed. That's why I love the story of Peter. He failed, but what did Jesus do? He said, get up, I need you to feed my sheep. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter was struggling. He wasn't committed to Christ all out. 
He got there, though. Jesus didn't give up on him. I love that because he's not going to give up on me either. Or you. You want to follow me? Ephesians says this. You were once a darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live. Philippians. You may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation or the world among whom, and I love this, you shine as lights in the world. We get the opportunity to shine. To shine as we live every day, walking. And then secondly, it's God's will for us to have that life shining. Jesus put it this way. The words of Jesus Christ. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on the, a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and they put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See the light coming out of you. You're the light of the world because you're in Christ. See that light coming out. See how you live your life, and they'll be drawn to that, and God will be glorified. Paul put it this way in Philippians in another place. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God works in you. But there's nothing more important than the light that's in you, the light of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because everyone who doesn't know Christ is in the dark, and a lot of times they don't even know they're in the dark. You've been set free. You've been taken out of the dark and placed in the light. And God wants people to see that light. I hope that's encouraging to you. It's a thrill to me to wake up every day and realize I get to live out Christ. I want people to see him, know him, know him as he really is. Would you bow your heads, please? Our Father, we are humbled that not only did you, that you saved us and you reached out to us, you sent Christ to die for us, but you also sent him to die for everybody we know, encounter, even total strangers. Jesus loved them. For God so loved the world. Lord, you've taken us out of the world as our master, Satan, darkness, and you've set us free, put us in the light. I, I pray we'd walk and live as children of the light so that others could see that light, be drawn to it, want to know about it, and be set free. For each of us that's a Christian, Lord, you convict us where we need to spend time with you, to grow, to be more effective, to be a brighter light in our part of the world. We just thank you for that privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand while we sing, close out our time together.
We'll have Mike come close us in a prayer in a moment. There's a couple things I want to mention to you. Uh, if you haven't noticed, next door where I drove up yesterday, it's really cool to see scaffolding. And uh, I'll tell you my scaffolding story sometime. But uh, you don't want to hear that one. But it's just really cool. I appreciate, again, what Steve is doing and, and getting all that going. And one thing, we're going to put up a barrier. So when you see the barrier put up, don't park over there. Uh, we're trying to decide this morning who's going to be the first person to drive through the barrier. Uh, that'll probably be me, but uh, when you see that, just park over here. So that uh, that is coming as well as, uh, and also be better for your car probably once we trench that the parking lot. You don't want to drive through where the trench is either, so park over here. Again, Wednesday night starting this week, uh, continue to pray, and we thank you for your faithful giving. It's making next door possible. we got the, a mission trip coming up we talked about. You can check with Chad. If, men, if you're interested in that, over here on the wall, if, again, to get the, the piece of paper you got, uh, you want to step up and help, uh, you don't have to come up and preach. Uh, matter of fact, I don't want you to because I like my job, but uh, there are things you can do to help. I know Peter could use some help in the back as well as uh, if, you can, if you have talent Unlike me, he might could use you on the worship team and whether it's children's ministry, student, uh, hospitality, a lot of things going on. So again, check that out, pray about it and how you might want to serve. And I think I'm through talking and I think everybody's glad. Pray for us, Mike. One, one extra thing about Wednesdays uh, and Sundays, the youth has been uh, on a very schedule for the summer. We've got Across the street. Yeah.